Hi, my name is David, and you're listening to the Westchester Church Podcast. As we continue in our year-long journey through the Sermon on the Mount, we come to a passage that is a very familiar one to a lot of us, and yet a passage that I read in the past week, noticing things that I had never even seen before. In this message, we discuss what it means to truly ask, seek, and knock. Check us out at westchestercfc.com. That's westchestercfc.com. Gosboy click. Gosboy click. What we have heard Jesus say in these last couple of messages in the Sermon on the Mount, as a paraphrase, a few weeks ago, what we heard Jesus say was, do not condemn other people, especially if it's stuff that, that we ourselves are either doing or or that we're doing even worse stuff in our own life behind closed doors. That in the way that we judge other people, that's going to be ultimately how you and I will be judged. And so judge wisely, Jesus says there. Judge and have a self-awareness. And as we saw last week, what Jesus said, in other words, was, do not needlessly push other people away from you. As he says, do not cast pearls before swine. And yet it really begs the question, though. Okay, Jesus, how can I not condemn other people? How can I make sure that I am not needlessly pushing people even further away from you than our church culture already has throughout the ages? I mean, how can I establish rapport to such an extent with people in this world that that it's very warm and it's very genuine dialogue? And what I love about Jesus is Jesus never says do this and do that and without showing us exactly how it's done. And so here Jesus gives us literally a step-by-step explanation about here is what this looks like. Here is how you cannot condemn and so forth. And so we come into verse 7 of Matthew chapter 7. And this is what Jesus says. He says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks him for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks him for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask of him? And I have been so excited coming into this morning's message because I had an early morning appointment a a few days ago, and I was in Philadelphia. And I was writing a part of this sermon on the rocky steps at sunrise. And as I read this this particular text, I had one of those aha moments where it felt as if a light bulb had gone off in my mind. And I was noticing depth and grandeur to this passage that I had never before experienced or noticed in my entire life before. Now, how many of you have ever looked at this passage? And as Jesus says, ask and it will be given. 
that what you heard Jesus say is, hey, ask anything in my name, anything at all, anything that you can imagine, anything that you can fathom, and by golly, I'm going to give it to you, just like that. I mean, yeah, that's, that's where I was until just a few days ago. But when we venture to look deeper into what Jesus is saying, when we pay very close attention to what he is actually speaking about, we will see that, that Jesus is actually speaking about something else. Something that is very, very, very specific. When we look very closely at this text, we will all notice that, that Jesus is not just giving prayer advice at random. What he says here, I mean, it's not, not just stuff that, that he had forgotten to mention earlier on as he spoke about the model prayer. And now he's like, oh yeah, now I need to, to um, establish all of this that I forgot to say earlier. But rather, what Jesus is doing here is that he is actually speaking about our lives for good, about our influence for good in this world, in the lives of other people. Jesus is saying, here is how to be of help and of use in a positive way that will impact other people for me. And so Jesus mentions three, three individual things here. And you know, it kind of reminds me of when I was in school growing up and how we had a firefighter come every single year early on. And he would say that if you're ever in a situation where you have a fire in the house, you need to stop. You need to drop and you need to roll. And as it pertains to extinguishing all of the fires of the slander and of the defamation of, of, of character of the real Jesus in our world and in our city, Jesus says, here's what you need to do. You need to ask, you need to seek, and you need to knock. And, you know, it made me laugh because... Something else that I noticed for the very first time is that as Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock, it perfectly forms out the acronym of that very first word, which is ask. Now, I've never been an acronym guy in my, in my messages. I, yeah, it's kind of cheesy to have points that, that all spell out one word, but in this instance, I'm willing to make an exception. Here is what, what is at the core of this is that asking, seeking, and knocking is not generic information about prayer, but rather this is a very deliberate lifestyle of those who positively influence and impact an unbelieving world. And when we do this, when we ask, when we seek, and when we knock, Jesus makes three assurances to us, three promises to us. As if you ask, he says, it will be given to you. That if you seek, you shall find. That is a promise. You shall find that. And if we knock, Jesus says the door, notice, will be open to you. It's going to happen. And if we could go back to our last couple of messages, is that when we condemn other people, when we blame them, when we shame them in a spiritual connotation, when we try to herd human beings into cathedrals as if they were cattle, ultimately what we're doing is we are trying to, to mold and to fashion other people into our likeness. 
But when we ask, and when we seek, and when we knock, we are calling upon the power of God to embolden us, to empower us, to act, and to be in the lives of other people, so that they can be transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Into God's likeness. And so Jesus begins with something that that has been one of my main struggles as a person. Something that that I've spent my, my entire lifetime avoiding in so many situations. And that is asking. It's not that I'm too proud to ask. But I have had this lifelong, it's just a very delusional fear that I'm going to to annoy somebody if I ask them. And so I have always been that kind of person who would so much rather literally walk 20 miles in the snow than to even risk bothering or annoying somebody. And as you might imagine, in 12 years of marriage, this has driven my wife absolutely crazy and bonkers. I mean, I can't tell you how many times a man has said, David, 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 just call the elders. Just call the deacons. Just call this guy. Just call this this, woman. Just ask them for help. And what I have discovered so many times over is that when I actually have done that and have asked very simple questions, I have found most people have been very happy to help me. In fact, the only thing that, that, that ever seems to actually annoy them or to bother them is when I have avoided asking them. As a man that has said so succinctly, all you got to do is ask. And then all they have to do is either say yes or they are going to say no. But again, I have found for the most part people are very eager to actually help you when, when you ask them. And it reminds me so much of an episode of the Andy Griffith Show where Aunt B is in a supermarket one day and she, she has a deal on, on all this meat and she, she, she comes home with like three years worth of meat. Obviously what the problem is is that they don't have adequate storage space in the house for all this meat and so... Well, she's got this very old, antiquated freezer outside, and she, she loads it up to the brim, but, but very quickly on that first night, it, it breaks down and it stops working. And here is what Andy Griffith's advice is to Aunt B, which, of course, falls upon her deaf ears. Call the man. Not that man. Call the man. Call the man. Just call the man. Just call the man. And you better call that man. Call the man. We'll call the man. Call the man. Why didn't you call the man? I should have called the man like you said. I, I mean, yes. I mean, how many situations have we found ourselves in where we've got a problem, but there is a clear solution right here or right there. There is a person who can actually be of assistance to us, but for whatever reason, we are just so stubborn about it, and we will just not call on the man to help us. And yet I believe this is especially true for, for you and for I as Christians. It made me think about a passage in the book of James. James is writing to a group of Christians who are having a lot of quarrels and a lot of conflict in this church. Tension between each other is very thick. And they're wondering, why can't we just be at peace with each other here? 
Notice what, what he says in chapter 4 of James. Where he says, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? It's not the source, your, your own pleasures, which wage war in your members. He adds that you lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. He says that you are envious and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. And then most famously of all, what James says is, he says, you do not have because you do not ask. If you would just call the man, if you would just call on the name of the Lord, if you would just call on one another, maybe you could have some some harmony in this church, but, but you refuse to. How many times have we sung that, that exact same sentiment in our hymn book? Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we just will not call the man, all because we just will not call on the name of the Lord in prayer. And so what Jesus says is, call on me, call on God. I mean, something else James says earlier on in that book, chapter 1 and verse 5, he asks that particular church, is there anyone among you who is lacking God's wisdom in their life? James says, here is how you get it, and it's so simple. You just have to ask God. Ask God for the wisdom, James says, and he will give it to you. Ask God. God, and it will be given. I don't know if you've ever considered your own self as, as not being eloquent, perhaps. You just don't know what words to use, whether you were trying to, to influence a person in the church or a person who is not yet a Christian, and you just don't know what to say. Well, I am living proof that, that if you ask God fervently, Lord, give me the words, God will put his words in the least expectant mouths in this entire world. Sometimes all we got to do is just simply ask him and to believe that he will give it to us and it will be given to us. A lot of times as, as a Christian society in this country, we we are discouraged at times because our, our, our assemblies are not as loaded as they once were. And yet, how often have we actually asked God, God, I pray that there are people in this city right now who are already seeking you. And then God, let our, our pathways converge. In those moments, give me the courage and give me the words to say. Are we asking God this every single day? If we would just call on the Lord, we would be amazed at just what exactly happens. But, but I believe Jesus also means here, call on people too. Ask people very intentional, very proper questions. And just watch what unfolds. And I know that, well, especially as a minister, I mean, I, I know that oftentimes what is in our minds is, well, we have to do all of the talking, right? And yet the beauty about asking people is that when we ask, we let them do a lot of the talking right there. 
When we ask, we hear the words coming out of not our own mouths, but we hear them saying something like, wow, I need Jesus. Is that I have done this or I've done that and and I don't want to live this way anymore. And we hear them say all of that out loud. When I was at seminary, one of the most valuable things that anyone ever said to me was there was a local minister there who came into our class one day and who said that, now I know that a lot of you think that ministry is one million percent speaking. He said, I had that same illusion too. But one thing that that 25 years of being a minister has taught me every single day is that actually in reality, ministry is only 10% speaking, if that. It's 90% listening to what other people have to say. He said so often, I mean, I'll never forget this. It was so prophetic in that sense where he said people are going to be so much more needing your open and caring ears more than they will need your big, loud, rambling mouth. It's gotten me criticized many times as a minister in the church Because for whatever reason, in the American church, ministers have to be loudmouths. Ministers have to be the loudest person in the room who love the sound of their own voice. But but this is why I want to be the quietest person in the room. I want to be the kind of person who is asking, who is listening much more than he's speaking. You see, when, I mean, you know, it reminds me of, of the very last church that we were at where we were at a church in Florida, and after our assembly one Sunday morning, there, there had been a woman who was in the, there alone in the auditorium afterwards. And so Amanda and I walked up to, to our sister and it said, we asked her a question. We said, hey, what's going on? And for the next 45 minutes, this sister is just pouring every last drop of her soul out to us. And almost an hour later, we're walking out to our cars in the parking lot and her eyes are all red. And yet what she says to us is, thank you so much. You helped me. You blessed me so much this afternoon. And Amanda and I are just looking at each other smiling. It's like we, we asked one question. We said four words. And yet that one question in those four words did more wonders in this woman's life than all of the words I had said that morning in a sermon. She did not need another sermon from me. All she needed was just one question, four words, asked in the proper kind of way. And that was all she needed. You see, there's just so much power when we ask proper questions in the moments. And what I love about asking, too, is that when we ask, notice, we are not force-feeding Jesus on that person. When we ask, we are not manipulating them into coming to a church service. We are not putting them in their place. We're not telling them off. When we ask them, we, we, are, we are taking no spiritual hostages or, or scaring anybody into being baptized. But when we ask, We are honoring that human being's dignity to make their own choice for themselves. 
And at least it's been my experience that when the right questions have been asked in the proper kinds of ways, this is usually when people arrive at their own individual faith rather than, than, than trying to coax our own into them by force. You see, this, this is powerful because this is what Jesus did all of the time. Where in this very same book of Matthew, Jesus looks at his apostles one afternoon and he says, and he asks them a question. He says, who do you say that the Son of Man is? And they look at each other and they say, well, some say it's John the Baptist. Other people say it's Elijah or Jeremiah or Maybe it's one, one of the other prophets. And yet Jesus then asked them a very deliberate, proper question where he says, but who do you say that I am? And it gives Simon Peter that opportunity to, to then proclaim, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We can ask this same exact question in the world now. If we just ask a person who might not be a believer, who, what Jesus have you been handed? And then we ask them, but who do you believe he is? See, that is just so powerful. We find on yet another occasion, there is a woman who has, has an affirmity. She has spent every last dime that she had, and it's only gotten worse for her. And as Jesus comes into her town, though, she, she, she believes that if I just yank on the hem of his garment, I will be healed and, and I will be rescued from this disease. And that's exactly what she does. But notice Jesus, Jesus knows exactly what has just happened. He's Jesus. And yet Jesus believes in the power of questions. Jesus asks out loud into the air, who just touched me? Very simple question. And it gives this woman the opportunity. It gives her a platform. It gives her a microphone. And before all of these individuals in this crowd, she now gets to, to I mean, just absolutely testify her life story. I had this horrible disease, but now because of Jesus Christ, I have been set free. You see, it all began with a question. We also read elsewhere about this man who was a crippled and he's lying out one day over by um, a pool and Jesus comes along and he asks him a question. Again, very simple question. Do you want to get better? Do you want to get well? His response is, well, of course I would, but there is no one to, to lift me up and to put me in this water. Jesus says, you don't even have to have anybody to help you. All you got to do is just stand up, take your mat, and walk home. See, it all began with Jesus asking him a question. I think about the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery, and Jesus silences her accusers. They are walking away from them, but notice Jesus asked her a question that I know tugged on every heartstring in her soul. Something that had caused tears of relief and happiness to just ooze from her eyes where before it was just tears of where, where I mean she was scared and she had fear where Jesus poignantly asked her woman where are they where have your accusers gone and then he asked her another question 
does anybody accuse you? Does anybody condemn you? Jesus knew what the answer was, but, but he's asking this so that she can say with her own words and her own breath and to process for, for her own self, well, no, there is nobody condemning me. And it's all because of you, Jesus. See, this is just so powerful. Oh, and by the way, sometimes we don't even have to ask people. Sometimes people ask us. As we remember one instance in the book of Acts, there is a man who is from Ethiopia who has been in Jerusalem, and he's sitting in a chariot reading aloud out of what we know of as Isaiah chapter 53. And yet he sees a Christian whose name is Philip, and he says, who is all of this speaking about, about this lamb who will be slaughtered? Is Isaiah speaking that about himself or about somebody else? Very simple question. And that one very simple question gives Philip that opportunity now. He gets to preach Jesus to this person, and it's welcomed. He's not needlessly cramming it down his throat. He's doing it upon request. It is preacher on demand. I mean, how great is this? Once he preaches Christ to him, and he says that here is how you can respond to this in faith and in repentance and in baptism, the very next question out of the eunuch's mouth is, Look, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? You see, all of this starts with a question. And after he had been baptized, he went on his way rejoicing. When we lived in China, we, we had a student who, and to protect his identity, I will just refer to him as Travis. Travis had been in my English class. And when he came into our, our house, I didn't even have to break the ice with him. He just sits down on our couch and he says, listen, I've been reading through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but I came across a statement Jesus made, and I don't understand it. He, and he mentioned that passage where Jesus says, whoever loses his life for my sake is going to find it. And he says, what does that mean? I don't get it. And to the best of our ability, Amanda and I answered his question. And I mean, a few weeks later, we were baptizing him into Christ. It all began with a question. And I love so much what, what a writer whose name is Dallas Willard, how, how he says this, where he says, asking is the avenue through which things get accomplished in, in harmony with the freedom and the worth of every individual. You see, this is what happens when we ask proper questions and when we dare to just call the man or to call on the name of the Lord. And so Jesus says first, he says, ask, but he also says, seek. And I fear that a lot of the time we don't even make it to this point. We don't get this far all the time. I mean, it's good when we pray to be more, more Christ-like, but, but this is something that we actually have to pursue with all of our hearts. As the Apostle Paul writes in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6, after he is warned against those dangers of the love of money and of greed, notice his word choice as he says, but flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue, and pursue righteousness, Pursue godliness, pursue faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. 
You've got to pursue these things with all of your heart. We can pray that we will love each other as a church until we're blue in the face, but the only way that's going to happen is if we are actively in pursuit of it with all of our soul. It's good that we aspire to be the kind of church that, that makes our city look at us and say, whoa, who are these people? But the only way that is ever going to happen is if we are actively in pursuit and we are seeking our city just like this, with all of our might. It reminds me a lot of a scene in the movie called The Fugitive. What I want out of each and every one of you is a hard target search of every gas station, residence, warehouse, farmhouse, hen house, outhouse, or doghouse in that area. Checkpoints go up at 15 miles. Your fugitive's name is Dr. Richard Kimball. Go get it. See, I think this is where we have gone wrong in terms of evangelism as a nation. We look at people who are lost as criminals who we need to, to go and to apprehend and to throw into jail and to cram it down their throats and to make them no longer be on the run from God. And yet I believe we can take that perseverance we can take that determination that no matter what, we will seek this person. We will never give up on them. You see, it reminds me of how for a very long time, King Saul had been in pursuit of King David. And he did so in a malicious way, trying to bring harm upon him, trying to kill him, simply because he was jealous of him. But I believe what Jesus is saying here is you can take that exact same determination of Saul. You can take that exact same perseverance that, that I'm never going to give up. I'm not going to stop. That I'm not going to never stop showing up in this person's life. But that rather I will keep loving and having compassion upon this person. That I will dare to even try to love this person as much as Jesus loves me. And to have compassion in their life as much as Jesus has compassion every waking moment of my life as well. And if we will seek God and seek our fellow man in this way, eventually, sooner or later, we will find what we're searching for, Jesus says. Well, Jesus also says, knock. Now, what is the significance behind knocking? When we knock, we are announcing our presence in that person's life. When we knock, we are, are non-verbally expressing that, that I am here, that I am with you, that you don't have to be alone anymore. I am here. And I just find this so profound. And, I mean, it begins with us asking God for the ability and for the power to do it. But notice how, as Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock, everything which comes after that, it requires action on our parts. We've got to actually ask people proper questions. We have to seek them. That is action. We've got to knock, in a sense. That also is metaphorical action in play. 
And so once again, notice how just as we had seen in, in chapter, there in chapter 6, in, in the context of, of how to pray in the model prayer, we remember how there in chapter 6, what Jesus says is, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, on earth as it is in heaven. And so once again, what we find here in chapter 7 in terms, um, uh, loosely in terms of prayer, is that we are the answer to our own prayers. And I was having a conversation about this earlier on in the week with, with a friend of mine whose name is Brad, who's a mentor of mine. And he said something so significant about this, where he said that a lot of times when we pray, it's, it's like we believe in God, we believe God is there and that he's listening. But, but so often when we pray, we are acting as if God is too busy and that, that he's not really that interested in our prayers. So it's just kind of like, like a lot of our prayers are just Hail Marys. Not the Catholic kind, but in, in terms of football. Where we're praying, it's like we're just going to throw this up and cross our fingers and there's like a 10% chance that this is going to come to fruition, but I'm just going to launch this in the air and just hope that God is in a good mood today. And what Brad said that I want to share with us is this. Where he said that we believe that there is a God, but we pray as though this God of ours is far away, somewhat disinterested, busy with more important things. And then he says this, and I love this. He says, but we are Christians. We are Christians. That is not Christian prayer. Hail Mary's is not Christian prayer. Christians see themselves as the body of Jesus Christ upon the earth. Christians see them, their own selves, as living, breathing, walking Eucharist. And then what he says is, is that Christian prayer is when we ask ourselves always, and now how is Christ's body, might the Spirit of God move me to be God's response to all of this? Ladies and gentlemen, this is what Christian prayer actually is. And I believe that when this world sees that, that we're not barricading their doors, we're not kicking down the door and, and, and physically forcing our entry inside their lives, when we see that we come in peace, this is when people begin opening up, not, not just to us, but especially to Christ Jesus. And yet having said that, though, a lot of people might be saying, maybe even we also have, have experienced before in our lives. Well, okay, Jesus, that, that sounds good, but I, listen, I have asked you, yet I have not received. I have sought, but I have not found. I have knocked, and I have knocked, and I have knocked, and I have knocked. And yet the door remains triple bolted and, and closed off from me. I don't know if you've ever heard another person say something like, I prayed. I asked Jesus for, for help. I asked God for something. And yet it didn't work. And so I guess God isn't out there after all. We need to go back to this misunderstanding of what Jesus means when he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you are going to find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. 
I think a lot of us start off hearing Jesus say, ask and it will be given. And what we hear is Jesus saying that, that whenever you pray, I am, a mas- you know, I am a magic cosmic genie who is going to grant you three wishes every time that you pray. So a person might be praying and say, well, I have prayed that God would, would you know, bless my life with, with millions of dollars, but I have not received that yet. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed until I was blue in the face that that coworker of mine was, was going to die and to drop dead of an aneurysm today, but, but he still lives. I mean, what gives God? After James says, you do not have because you do not ask, the very next words out of his mouth are, is that you ask, but you do not receive because you are asking with the wrong motive. Everything I had just described, those are are not proper motives when we ask. Or as John says, he says that this is the assurance that we have. How as we pray, that whatever we ask in accordance to his will, God hears us. And so what we see instantly is that in prayer, it's not a magic genie granting us three wishes, but, but if we could go back to the very definition and meaning of that word prayer, It's when we take our own wishes and we let God transform and to convert those into beautiful things, into sacred things from what they once were. You see, it's not always what we want when we pray, but rather, as Jesus says in our text later on in the latter part of those last couple verses, what Jesus actually says is that our Father gives us what we need. Notice what we need. And he does so when we ask of him. And so he says, look to the good fathers of this earth. That when their children come to them and ask for, for bread, they're not going to give them a stone, are they? When they say, give me a fish, they're not going to hand them a poisonous snake. Even as he says in Luke's account, that if you have a child and he asks you for, for or rather for, for an egg, you're not going to hand them a scorpion, are you? So what do a stone, a poisonous snake, and a live scorpion all have in common? Well, unless you live in China, none of those are going to be edible. None of those will be nourishment to your own body. In fact, if you hand a a small child a poisonous viper, that's probably going to kill them. If you hand an infant a scorpion, that's probably not going to go too well. And notice how Jesus says, and you being evil. And I am sensing a deeper meaning to even this as he says this. Because if we could go back to our wishes as we pray, so often we, we begin praying. We enter into that particular prayer with all kinds of improper and destructive attitudes in our hearts. We want to see that other person condemned. We want God to at any moment drop a cosmic piano on that person's face and to kill them at once and to exact our revenge upon us. Other times we are just too too scared and too fearful to even engage in that person's life. And yet if we will pray 
at least the way Jesus explains to us and describes to us in Matthew chapter 6 and loosely here in Matthew chapter 7, is that we begin praying. We, we have attitudes as destructive and as, and as lethal as those are. But the longer that we pray for the will of God and the longer that, that we want to embody Jesus' kingdom, and the longer that we pray and we're forgiving our enemies every time that we stand before God, we are going to emerge from that prayer with what breathes life into this world. Now offering our world what is edible to the human spirit. I believe what Jesus is saying here is, do not waste your time or other people's time blaming them and shaming them and trying to force them into heaven. Rather, invest in what breathes life into this world. You see, until we ask and seek and knock, we continue this very sad story and trajectory of needlessly pushing people 1,000 more steps back away from Jesus than we've already made them take. And it's been my experience that how, how every single time I've seen a person truly come to a faith in Jesus Christ and to surrender in baptism, it was only when they had people in their life and in their pathway who were asking proper questions, who had sought them, who had not given up on them at any cost, and who had knocked and knocked and knocked when the time had been appropriate for them to, to knock. So as we bring this to a close this morning, I just want to ask us, we, every single one of us need to ask this question every single day, who am I pursuing? Who do I want to, to influence and to impact in a meaningful way for Jesus? And I believe it needs to be both people in the church as well as people outside of the church. First of all, we need to ask ourselves daily, am I asking proper questions? Am I listening or am I just lecturing? Am I trying to just fix them? Am I trying to, to help them take one or two steps closer to the real Jesus? Or am I just trying to make them into me? Huge difference between those two. But then lastly, most courageous question of all that, that we need to ask ourselves and especially that, that, that you and I need to act upon is this. Do I dare to ask God to give me the wisdom and the strength and the imagination to be his kingdom in this world and to be the answer to my own prayers? Your life will change when you do this. And so will the lives of other people. Just a few days ago, we saw Jimmy Carter and he had said in his interviews, as a Christian, I need to help other people. And so we see 95-year-old Jimmy Carter working nine to five building houses underneath the Georgia sun, or maybe in, in another state, wherever it was, is regardless. But we notice how just a few days prior, he had fallen and he had to have 12 stitches on his face and his face is bruised purple. 
And yet at the age of 95 years old, we see Jimmy Carter not just asking that question, how can I help? But we see him deeply in pursuit of this, not giving up, not letting anything hinder him from building houses for these underprivileged people. What we see him doing is knocking. We see him, we see Jimmy Carter with a hammer and a nail in his hands, building houses all day long. And as I look at this picture, it just makes me ask my own self, if a 95-year-old man with a disheveled, bruised face could do this for his God, then imagine the things that he could do through us in this city if we also dare to, to ask and to seek and to knock. You see, we, we know how that's going to get done. We know all we got to do, in the words of, of Andy Griffith, the, you know, the great seer and oracle prophet, just call the man, just call on the people, just call on the name of the Lord. And we're going to be amazed at what happens in our lives. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we, we glory in your kingdom. But we confess, Father, that, that heaven is not just a place where we're going to go at the end of time, but that heaven is right now because it is in our souls. And so, Father, we want to embody heaven more than we want to occupy it one day for eternity. Lord, please give us the wisdom that we're lacking this morning of how to reach the city. Let us learn, let us see with our own eyes what the deep wounds of the city are and let us go to work on it with your power and with your strength. Lord God, I pray that there are truth seekers in this city. Some of them might even be driving by at this very moment. Lord, we confess that we are helpless without you to reach these people. We confess, Father, we acknowledge wholeheartedly that, that we are powerless to ever fix them. And you're the only one who can put us all back together again and to create a masterpiece sculpture with your hands. So I pray, Father, for, for those truth seekers, and I pray especially for us to have the courage and the love to reach them. God, let us be the answer to our own prayers. It's in the name of the risen Savior Jesus Christ. We, we live, we pray, and that we die. Amen.